Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believes that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. No matter your background, we can agree that culture has a complex relationship with money and morality. While wealth is often celebrated, there is also a stigma attached to being perceived as greedy or materialistic. Ironically, we have never had such a strong culture of consumerism rife in society and the church. At a deeper, more personal level, we know that money has incredible power to form us, power for health and flourishing, as well as pain and destruction. We also know that many of us live in a reality of hardship and scarcity, especially in South Africa. Yet we believe that God has wisdom and freedom from all the trappings and anxieties associated with money, as well as guidance on how to view it in its appropriate place and allow it to be the gift and blessing it can be. In this God and Money series, we seek to explore the intent of God's views on these matters, knowing that the ways of God in all things can lead to flourishing, life, joy, and healing. Please continue listening for our next installment of our God and Money series. Evening Church, the scripture reading is taken from Luke 12, verses 13 to 34, reading from the New International Version. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take like easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens that do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, 
and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, when no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, We are in the midst of a four-part series in the life of common ground that we have entitled God and Money. Rigby kicked us off in week one, looking at what God wants for us. And last week, uh, Ian uh, spoke to us about how money forms us. Every year we like to take uh, several weeks out of the calendar to look at specific discipleship issues. So last year we looked at God and sexuality and this year we are looking at God and money. And if you're at church for the first time in a long time, you may be thinking, can we rather do a last year's one, God and sexuality? Because if we were, my topic this evening may be a biblical picture of enduring sexual satisfaction from Proverbs and the Song of Songs. Instead, tonight, we have got the topic of money and in particular, greed. I know, a real crowd pleaser, please hold your applause. Uh, So you... (laughs) You're kind of arriving at church and you're thinking, oh man, here they are going on in money, what's new? But then greed, what's the relevance of that to me? Why are they going there again? Well, the reason why we're going there is because actually when you crack open the Bible, you actually discover that Jesus spoke more about money than actually heaven and hell combined. And so because Jesus goes there, we, we need to go there. And we wanna go there particularly around the topic of greed this evening. And I wanna speak about greed under three headings. Firstly, the hiddenness of greed. Secondly, the nature of greed. And then finally, the remedy of greed. The hiddenness of greed, the nature of greed, and finally, the remedy of greed. Let's begin with the hiddenness of greed. In Luke 12, our encounter begins with Jesus teaching on some really important things. He's uh, been speaking to a large crowd about hypocrisy, about eternity, about how our decisions have eternal consequences when all of a sudden somebody interrupts him and asks him to settle an inheritance dispute that he has got with his brother. And Jesus is just like, whoa, 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 time out here. Who appointed me judge? I don't see the family mediation board behind me. Uh, Thank you very much. And then he wants to kick back into his teaching. But Jesus being the good shepherd can't just kind of continue with what he was teaching about without dealing with the issue that presented itself to this individual that wanted this judgment from Jesus. Jesus sees that this person has a root issue in their life that they are unaware of, that's a blind spot to them. And so instead of continuing what he was teaching about, he actually begins to speak to this guy. And he says to everybody who listens in, us included in verse 15, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus tells a parable, a parable that would have shocked the listeners when they heard it, but it certainly would have stunned the individual because Jesus having warned them to watch out against greed then tells us, a parable about an individual who makes their life all about themselves and their possessions. 
And this guy would have been stunned because what he would have been thinking internally is like, Jesus, what, what, what are you talking about greed for? My, my, my brother has ripped me off for my rightful share of the inheritance. Can you please pack away your greed talk? And can we please hear the justice talk? Hashtag pay back the money. I, I, I need to get my rightful portion here. But, but, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knows how insidious greed is, which is why he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. By inference, Jesus is saying that it is possible to be committed to a just cause and yet for greed still to be the actual motivation of your heart. Because part of the great challenge with greed is that it conceals itself from us. Jesus doesn't say to us, watch out against sexual immorality. Well, why doesn't he do that? Well, if you sin sexually, you know if you've crossed a line but not so with greed. Greed hides itself. Jesus in the parable of the sower speaks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Money has a way of lying to us, uh, deceiving us. Tim Keller in his excellent book, Counterfeit Gods writes the following. Innumerable writers and thinkers have been pointing out the culture of greed that has been eating away at our souls and has brought about economic collapse. Yet no one thinks that change is round the corner. Why? It is because greed is especially hard to see in ourselves. Nobody thinks they are greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess their struggles with almost every kind of sin. Almost, because I cannot recall anybody ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think that my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. Greed hides itself from the victim. The money God's modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. Friends, let's think about it. Most of us are in life groups here. These are small groups that meet during the week to support and encourage each other. And one of the things that we love about life groups in Common Ground is that a place where people can share their struggles. So it wouldn't be unusual in a life group for somebody to say, hey, I've got this sickness that's just been discovered and I'm gonna have to have an operation and can you please pray for me? Or I've got some really difficult exams coming up and could you pray? People share at a very vulnerable and intimate level. But in all the years that I've been involved in a life group, never once have I had somebody come in and say, hey guys, guys, please, please, could you pray for me? I've just, I've just had a salary increase. My salary has just been doubled and I'm just really concerned that I'm gonna spend all my money on myself. I'm really concerned that this new income into my life is gonna cause me to become distracted and do stuff that, that, that won't really advance the kingdom of God. That's just never happened. Has it happened in your life group? I don't think so. We just don't think that greed is an issue. It's not even on our radar screen, which is why Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, why is greed so elusive? Well, well let me suggest two reasons. Reason number one is, I think most of us socialize with people that are wealthier than ourselves. I, I think a healthy friendship group would involve a, a very wide band of individuals, people who are less wealthy than you, but, but people that are more wealthy than you. And because 
nearly all of us have people that are more wealthy than us, but when we hang out with them and become friends with them, we, we can easily begin to think that, that their lifestyle ought to become our lifestyle, that, that, that their standard of living really becomes the blueprint for our standard of living. And so you feel this gap and you're on the wrong side of the gap, right? There are people that you know well that are better off than you. And because you're on that wrong side of the gap, Greed isn't even on the radar screen. It's just like, hey, I, I'm, I'm the poor cousin here. What are you talking about greed? Greed isn't an issue for me. There, 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 there's, there's other horizons for us to reach. And when you, when you have that gap, you don't, you're not even aware that, that greed could be in play. The second reason why greed can be so elusive is that we take comfort in pointing out the worst forms of greed in others. Because there's somebody that's very, very greedy and we're not like them, we think that greed isn't a problem for us. Uh, in 1987, I know a number of you weren't even alive then, but in 1987, there was a blockbuster movie called Wall Street that came out. And there was this guy, Michael Douglas, who used to be a famous actor, and he played a high-flying stockbroker called Gordon Gecko. And there's an iconic scene in the movie when Gordon Gecko stands up at a shareholders meeting. He needs to try and rescue this company uh, because he's, uh, some of his clients have got shares in it. And he stands up in the shareholders meeting and he says the following, he says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for a lack of better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. It cuts through. It captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar Paper, but the other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. And he gets a round of applause. And in 1987, Gordon Gecko became the rock star. Everybody wanted to be Gordon Gecko. Greed is right. And then in 2007, there was uh, the huge collapse, a dot-com collapse. And then people realized actually Gordon Gecko wasn't a good guy. Greed isn't good. Greed actually hurts. And this became an iconic scene for what we ought not to be. And so when the issue of greed comes up, it's like, hey man, I'm not Gordon Gecko. I'm not like that. That's not on my radar screen. Greed isn't a problem for me. Let me ask you a question this evening. Where do you think greed is manifest in South Africa? Where do you think greed is manifest in South Africa? If we had an opportunity for you to write down your answer and hand it in and collate it, I want to suggest to you that 90% of the answers would be in three categories. Category number one, a politician. Category number two, a businessman. Category number three, somebody who works for ESCOM, right? So if, if we had to put the piles there, it would be like, yeah, yeah, politician, yeah, 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 businessman, yeah, somebody working for ESCOM. But I want to suggest to you that there wouldn't be anybody in this room that wrote their own name down. Where is greed manifest in South Africa? Actually, in my own heart. Even though you've just been listening to a whole point that greed hides itself, you wouldn't have put down your name as a place where greed is manifest, even though that is the place that you know the best. You can know for sure 
that there is greed at play in your life. But the issue is because we don't think we're Gordon Gecko, we think we get a free pass. Listen to what John Paul, uh, journalist for the Atlantic, writing on greed writes the following. He says, if we reject some conduct, but really admit an example, we enjoy the benefit of being high-minded without the burden of moral restraint. As a matter of public discourse and polite conversation, greed is unlikely to be good anytime soon. But listen to this. But a vice need not become a virtue for the end result to look the same. A vice doesn't need to become a virtue. Greed doesn't need to become good. You don't need to become the worst form of greed in order for greed to be at work in your own life. Friends, if you, if you say to me, Stephen, do you play golf? And I say, no, 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 I don't play golf. And then you, the next day you come to me and say, hey, I, I check out, you're on, on Strava here. You do play golf. I, I noticed you played the other day. And then I go, well, I'm, I'm no Tiger Woods. And then you say, well, I didn't ask you whether you're Tiger Woods. I just said, did you play golf? And it's like, oh yeah, I do play golf. Not very well at all, but I do play golf. And friends, it's possible to give yourself a free pass because you see the worst form of greed in others. I know in my own life, I've studied this topic, I've been aware of this topic, and yet there's still been hiddenness and blind spots in my own life. You can be very familiar with this at a point that you presented to others and yet still have blind spots in your own life. Friends, greed can be like, um, uh, like, like a cockroach. You get these moments where like, you switch on the light and oh, there it is, and then it's gone. But actually, it's still there, right? It's not like it's really gone. It's just gone out of sight. And, and, and there are these moments where the clouds kind of open and you can see, oh, I, that was greed. But then it's gone. And Jesus says, hey guys, be aware, be alert. So firstly, the hiddenness of greed. Secondly, the nature of greed. Jesus says that we are to Watch out and be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Notice that there isn't uh, just a kind of one trick pony kind of greed. Greed is a kind of like a multi-headed monster and Jesus calls us to uh, watch out against all kinds of greed. And then he tells a parable and he tells a parable to help us identify some red flags that could point to the fact that greed could be at work in our lives. He, he tells a story to give us some contours in order to kind of track the potential of greed in our own lives. Let me remind you of the parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded a abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain and I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Isn't this amazing that a parable that Jesus told over 2000 years ago is uh, so sophisticated. We've got a, 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 a conversation that this person is having with themselves. <laughs> beautifully described. He, he's, he's got this bumper harvest and what am I going to do with all of the surplus grain? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones and then I'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years and I'll say to myself, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich 
towards God. Let me just highlight three red flags that we see in the life of this businessman that can point to the possibility of greed in our own lives. Firstly, I want you to notice that this business guy makes his life all about himself. Notice the number of I and my references in this parable. In the space of six verses, this guy references himself 11 times. The first red flag about uh, pursuing a life of greed is to make your whole life about yourself. This guy's whole horizon, this whole future is all about himself. There is, there is nobody else in play, not his spouse, not his kids, not his workers, not his town, not anybody else. It is all about him. He is entirely focused on himself. Secondly, I want you to notice that he completely ignores God. He is not rich towards God in any way. In all of his deliberations, he never references God whatsoever. His planning takes place in a God-free zone. Who God is, what He likes and what He wants is completely irrelevant to this guy. And then thirdly, this guy makes his whole life about getting more stuff. It is about wealth accumulation. It's about damming things up. It's about storing more stuff. And then the stuff taking on a God-like significance in his life. His stuff becomes his functional God. But as Earl Ellis points out in his commentary in Luke, this parable is a tragedy. And this parable is a tragedy because this man thought that he was the owner, but actually he was being owned. He didn't have possessions, the possessions possessed him. He, he thought he was an owner, but actually he was being owned. He thought that he was absolutely in control. He's making all his plans, working everything out, but actually he is completely out of control. He thinks of himself as a landlord, but actually he is a spiritual tenant. He thought that his money was his own, but actually it was only a loan. And friends, the very sobering thing is that God's assessment of this individual is, you fool, you fool. And friends, this is very sobering because if this individual lived in Cape Town in 2023, he would be the business poster boy. MoneyWeb would make him the business person of the year. Incredible guy in the midst of, of recessions and difficulties, he's grown his business, getting bumper returns, got a massive expansion project that's gonna kick him through into the next decade and everybody's applauding him and giving him awards, but God calls him a fool. Now, was he a fool because he was successful? No. Was he a fool because he was hardworking? No. Was he a fool because he had expansion plans? No. He was a fool because he made a series of critical wrong assumptions. He thought that he was an owner when actually he was only a steward. He thought that he was in control when actually his life was hanging by a thread. He lived a life ignoring God. He wasn't rich to God in any way. He was utterly unprepared to meet his maker. He was utterly unprepared to meet the most important person in the universe. It is desperately sobering. 
Friends, Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus didn't say it would be difficult, it's unlikely, it is hard to do. No, Jesus said it is impossible to serve both God and money. Jesus knows more than anybody else that that, that money has a way of growing up and wanting to take on a God-like status in our lives. For, for, For some of us, that means that money is the thing that brings us security. As we look into the future, we take great comfort that we've got a lot of money because the money gives us the security that we crave. And that's why when people ask us for money, there's no ways that we want to give up on our money because to give up on our money is like switching off our life support system. There's absolutely no ways that we're going to do that. Money provides the security that we long for and crave. But for others of us, money isn't about security. Money is about enabling us to do the things that we really want to do. So for some of us, uh, we love money because we crave comfort and we love the fact that money enables us to buy the creature comforts that we love that cause our souls to purr. For others of us, it's not about comfort, it's about adventure. We love money because money gives us the ability to do the cool, thrill-seeking things that we long for, that we get to post on Insta, that we live in our best life now. For others, it's not about adventure or comfort. It's about wowing the world. We want the nice shoes and the, and the great wash and the cool clothes and the power hairdo. And in order to do that, we need the money. Money enables us to do stuff. Now, what is really interesting is that when the, the money security guys meet the money enabling guys, they really don't like each other at all. And they, they, they look down their noses at each other. When, when, the, when the money security guys meet meet the enablers, they go, man, I I just can't believe these guys. They're so foolish. They waste their money on depreciating assets. I can't believe that they're behaving so irresponsibly. But the the, the money enabler people, when they meet the money security people, they're saying like, I can't believe those people are so stingy. Do you notice like the ball comes around and it's like, you know, crocodile hands, you know, it's kind of going up there. They they never want to pay for the bill. What's the deal with them? And what happens is actually both of them are way more like each other than they would ever dare imagine because they've got the same operating system underneath. They're relating to money as if it were a God, which is exactly what Paul calls out in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 when he calls greed idolatry. Greed is the inordinate desire for wealth and possessions that ends up replacing God as our source of joy and hope and security and focus. Greed at its heart is an inordinate desire, a disordered love, a misplaced craving for wealth and possessions ahead of and instead of God. So firstly, the hiddenness of greed. Secondly, the nature of greed. And finally, the remedy for greed thing that I love about this series is that we are doing a God and money series. We're not doing a money series. And what we're going to discover as we look at the remedy for greed is that if we are to conquer greed, we need a right view of God. Jesus, having 
warn them about greed and then given them a parable to underline the dangers of greed, then begins to teach them to help them to overcome greed. And what he does is he points them to God. He tells them things about God that will help them gain the spiritual buoyancy that they need in order to relate to money in a kingdom way. And there are four things that Jesus highlights uh, about God that is really worth us longing. The first thing that we need to log is that God knows. Notice verses 29 and 30. Do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Uh, Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. In South Africa at the moment, we are all aware of the economic pressures, are we not? Inflation's up, interest rates are up, there's load shedding, the rand is tanking, the economy is stalling. It is a very, very economically challenging times. And when it is a difficult and challenging time, it's very easy for us to withdraw into fear. And when we withdraw into fear, we become isolated. And when we become isolated, we feel alone. And when we feel alone, we feel that our way is hidden from God. But here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus clearly and repeatedly in this passage underlines that our ways are not hidden from God. We are not isolated. We are not alone. God knows what we're going through. God knows our situation. God knows our daily pressures and God knows what we need. Isn't it wonderful that the God of the Bible isn't some weird spiritual whack job, oblivious to the daily pressures of our lives, but He is a God who knows what's going on. He knows the deal. He's got the finger on the pulse of what is going on in our lives. And not only does He know, but He cares. In this section in Luke 12, Jesus uses creative illustrations to drive home the fact that God doesn't simply know our plight, but He cares. Look at verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. You're not just another item at pick and pay. You are way more valuable than food and clothing. Notice verse 24. How much more valuable you are than the birds. You're not just another creature. You've been made in the image of God. You have a soul. You are infinitely valuable. You are more valuable than the birds. And then notice verse 28. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Jesus repeatedly draws comparisons for the purpose of highlighting the fact that he radically cares for us. More, how much more, how much more? Friends, have you allowed this to take root in your life? Have you allowed this to sink in? Do you know at the very depths of your being, that God cares radically for you. He's not indifferent. He cares radically for you. He knows and He cares. Now, for some of you, this has kind of been a brutal time. It's been a brutal economic time. And so the idea that God knows and the idea that God cares isn't enough to penetrate you this evening. It kind of just bounces off. You kind of think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm really glad that God knows and I'm really glad that God cares, but I've got an aunt and she cares and she knows, but she's completely broke. So that doesn't help me at all. I'm, I'm glad God cares and knows, but I need more than that. 
And it's wonderful that Jesus knows what our objections are, so he keeps going. Because he doesn't just tell us that God knows and that God cares, but thirdly, he tells us that God has got more than enough. We may have a provision problem. There may be a provision problem in South Africa, but there isn't a provision problem with God. Jesus says to them, consider the birds. And they might have gone, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. God, well done. You're looking after the birds, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. Kudos. Until we got Google. And then we can Google how many birds are there in the world. And you know what the answer is? The conservative estimate is that there are 50 billion birds on the planet. Not 50 million, 50 billion. Some scientists are freaking out and saying, actually, the number's much higher. It's actually 430 billion. They're having an argument. Let's go with the conservative one of 50 billion birds. Imagine tonight, you go home, you're super hungry, you phone Mr. Delivery, and they say, how many people would you like to place the order for? And you go, 50 billion. And the guy goes, what, 50 million? And you go, no, 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 50 billion. Where do you want it delivered? All over the world. When? Today and every day for the entire existence of the planet. Can you do it? And they're gonna go, no ways are you nuts. If we got the brightest and the most gifted and the most resourced people on the planet, they would not be able to execute the logistics of feeding birds every single day. 50 billion of the babies, they wouldn't be able to do it, but God has been doing it for thousands of years and He's gonna do it until He returns, just because He can. And Jesus' point is, I've got the birds, I've got you. They're lots more birds than you. There are lots more birds than you. I've got the birds, so I've got you. And some of you have been through really brutal economic things and you're going, well, you may have the birds, but who wants seeds? <laughs> now, just to say he does more than seeds for them. There's worm, worms and, and berries and fruit, but I'll meet you at the hardness of your heart. I'll meet you at the hardness. Let's assume that he's only giving them seeds. He knows what you're gonna say. He knows what you're thinking, which is why he goes to the next level. Because he's not just catering for the birds. And if we use a Cape Town 2023 example, Jesus would just eyeball us and go, West Coast flowers, baby. (laughs) Go there mid-August. Go to the West Coast National Park and just check out flowers for as far as the eye can see. Flowers that were not planted by a single human being. A single human being did not plant a single seed for those flowers. They do not water them, they do not look after them, they don't care for them, but once a year, God just goes, bing, I've got a garden, how do you like that? And people from all around the country in different parts of the world come. And Jesus is saying, got the birds, I've got you, but I've also got luxury and I've also do abundance and I also do beauty for beauty's sake. I've got the birds, I've got you, I've got the flowers, I've got you. I've got this. And you need to lift up your eyes from your situation and your student loan and this, the tanking, and this, the, 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 and you need to see that there is a God in heaven and He is alive and He sees 
and He cares and He has got more than enough to provide for us. And more than that, He is not holding back in one iota. Because finally Jesus tells us in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. And I love this. Jesus doesn't say, do not be afraid, mighty warriors, valiant, committed Christians. He doesn't say that. It's just, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The little flock, that's us, right? Is Putin gonna come and Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's not holding back at all. He's not holding back at all. Some of you have got incredible mothers. Like the the moms that you've got are incredible. They love you. They've been so sacrificial to you for the entirety of your lives. And you are sure that your mother has never held back any sacrificial love in your life. And then the day arrives when you discover that she had a secret chocolate stash, right? It's like, what? Mama's got a secret drawer packed with lint chocolate that I knew nothing about and you discovered she was holding back. But the God of the Bible doesn't have a secret stash. He's not holding back, it's His pleasure to give you the kingdom. And you say, Stephen, how can you be so sure? And I can be so sure without a shadow of a doubt that God is not holding back at all because Jesus made this statement in the shadow of the cross. He made this statement in Luke 12 and Luke 12 is a section from Luke 9 to Luke 19 that they call the travel narrative. It's the teaching that Jesus gives in Luke as he is traveling. Where is he traveling? He is traveling to Jerusalem. Why is he traveling to Jerusalem? He's traveling to Jerusalem to be a sacrificial lamb. He is traveling to Jerusalem to become our sin bearer. He is traveling to Jerusalem to be whipped and beaten and mocked and spat on and to be put a crown of thorns on his head and to be nailed to a cross so that he can cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why was he forsaken? He was forsaken so that you and I would never, ever have to be forsaken. He gave it all. He held nothing back so that you and I can be welcomed into the kingdom. So that we can be fully welcomed in the kingdom and that we can know for absolute certainty that God isn't holding out on us in any way. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 8, 31 and 32. Listen to the logic here. For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you get the logic? God the Father has already done the hardest thing imaginable, namely give you His precious Son, Jesus. And because He's done the hardest thing imaginable, you can be sure without a shadow of a doubt that He is not holding back in any way. Jesus has climbed Mount Everest for you and because He has climbed Mount Everest for you, you can be sure that He can handle the park run around the common. He's done the big thing. He's given His life. He's shed His blood for you so that you can be sure that He will provide for you. 
And friends, if you get this, if you understand this, that God knows and that God cares and that God's got more than enough and that God has, is not holding out in any way, it should have a transforming effect on your life. And the transforming effect on your life is that you would trust God and not fret. That you would trust God and not fret. The repeated refrain throughout this section in Luke 12 is that we would not worry, that we would not worry, that we would not worry. Check out his instructions in verses 22, 25, 26, 29. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Verse 32, do not be afraid. Friends, if we see God for who He is, we won't fret, but we will trust God. God's got the birds, He's got the flowers, He's got you. More than simply trust God, we will seek God for God. We won't seek money. Friends, Jesus makes it really clear. You're either gonna be pursuing money and possessions or you're gonna be pursuing God. And Jesus is saying, please do not get caught up in the greed. Pursue God, seek God for God, because He's God, because He is of infinite worth. Friend, if you seek God and your worst nightmare happens, you end up completely bankrupt, you will still be fine. The Apostle Paul said, having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul got to the point through following God radically where he had nothing, he lost everything, but he had, because he was pursuing God and because he had encountered God, he knew that to encounter God and have a genuine, real relationship with God was more valuable than anything else on the planet. So when he got to the place of his worst nightmare, having nothing, he could say, yet possessing everything. Friends, if you make your whole life about possessions and you lose it all, you're left with nothing. Jesus is urging us, seek God, not money, not possessions. Because when your worst nightmare happens, if you've sought the Lord, you will have everything, not nothing. And then finally, flow, don't damn. Flow, don't damn. When we seek God and we pursue God, Jesus gives us incredible promise. Seek the kingdom and actually all of this stuff will be thrown in. Don't seek the stuff. Seek God and God will throw it in. And oftentimes God will throw in more than you need. And when you're in that more than you need category, Jesus says, don't damn it up, don't store it up, let it flow out. I'm gonna bless you in order to be a blessing to others. Friends, God's ultimate goal in your life isn't to enrich you. He's way more ambitious than that. His goal in your life is to make you like Jesus. He wants you to be his ambassador. He wants you to represent him. Which means that if you really get God and you really get the gospel and you really seek God more than anything else, what you're gonna discover is that he will provide for you and oftentimes he'll provide more than you need. And in those more than you need moments, you then begin to emulate him and you do what he does, which is God provides. God is generous, God meets people's needs. And then you get to function like his ambassador. You get to do God's stuff with the money. You know how to steward what he is putting in your hands. God will come to you and bless you in order 
that you might be a blessing. Let's pray together. Father God, we just wanna say that we are staggered at your massive ambition for us, Lord. We thank you that you would set it as a goal that we'd be transformed into your image. We are really staggered. But Lord, we know for that to happen in the area of money, Lord, we, we need to heed your warning. And so I pray, Lord, that by your spirit this evening that you would help each of us to take seriously the fact that we are to be aware, that we are to be on our guard against greed. Lord, I pray that in your mercy and grace, I pray that you would reveal the claws and the cockroaches of greed in our life that disappear so quickly. I pray that you would help us to deal with them and not pretend like they're not there just because we can't immediately see them. But more than that, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would lift up our heads and that you would help us to see God. The God who sees us, the God who cares for us, the God who's got more than enough, the God who has held nothing back. And Lord, I pray that the transforming effect of seeing you clearly is that we would trust you and that we would seek you and that when blessings come, they would flow to others, not just damned up for ourselves. I ask this for your glory and for the good of others. And all God's people said, Amen.